hope you're doing well. My name is Anahita Sen, and I'm a co-facilitator of the M&A Stories YouTube podcast, which is brought to you by Fifth Chrome Business Insights. Welcome to season three. The theme of this season is culture and its impact on M&A integration. Culture is one of the biggest challenges that face an M&A integration. And this challenge couldn't get any bigger as more companies are pursuing M&A based on people in culture. That is why it is important to understand, internalize, respect, and develop a clear plan of action on how to handle culture in M&A. In this season, we will be interviewing industry leaders from across the globe to hear their stories on how they address culture in an M&A integration. So here we go with today's episode. Hi there, welcome to another episode of M&A Stories. My name is Anir Van Sen, and I'm the CEO of Fifth Chrome. We are a business advisory and training company specializing in M&A integration and business transformation. This series, we have been looking at culture and how it impacts the world of M&A. So I thought, why don't I also share some of my experiences and the challenges that I've seen related to culture in M&A. So let's look at some of the common mistakes that take place pertaining to culture. First of all, and this is probably the overwhelming majority of the cases where business leaders underestimate culture. They either consider culture as fluff or intangible and give it a secondary position to financial engineering. The second one, which is probably my favorite, is companies try to address culture directly without necessarily addressing the underlying causes. Third is not aligned to business objectives. Now, as you know, when a company is acquired, there is a strategic rationale why that is acquired. Usually that needs to be translated into a strategic capability. And based on the strategic capability, you're likely to develop a certain kind of culture. And this culture may not be the same culture as that of an acquiring company. The fourth is it gets delegated to HR. Culture is all encompassing. Culture has to be led from the front and it is the combined responsibility of the complete leadership and not just HR. So that's why delegating to HR often creates a challenge. And the last one, of course, is not engaging experts. Just because somebody deals with people would not necessarily make them an expert in cultural integration. So these are some of the common mistakes that we see in the area of culture. Now, you may ask, why is it so important to tackle culture now in an M&A? First of all, we are in the third decade of 21st century. A lot has changed since the last century where integrations were primarily focused on asset base compared to now where we see a lot more dependency on people and culture. The second one is we see an exponential rise in the number of companies that are required on the basis of intellectual property or their knowledge-centric companies. They could be technology companies, they could be services companies, they could be companies simply dependent on high levels of expertise. We also are looking increasingly at companies that are looking for acquisition as strategic fit, as acquiring new capabilities rather than just consolidating and getting some cost out benefits, cost synergies. And the last one is we are witnessing an era of super specialization and which is why it is going to become extremely important where talent becomes the center of many acquisitions. So that's why culture now is more important than ever before. So what's the challenge with culture? Majority of the companies look at culture as values, as beliefs, as behaviors, and they try to address this. Now, imagine this like a tree where the branches and the leaves are values, beliefs, and behaviors. 
Whereas under the ground, where the roots are, that's where you see structures, you see practices, you see rituals, you see artifacts. So what that means is if you do not address the structures, the practices, it'll be very difficult for you to change the behaviors or the values of people. And in many cases, it'll just end up being a lip service at best. So let's look at how do culture play a role. We find that many of the acquisitions are based on primarily four types of capabilities that they want to acquire, right? The first one is what we call consolidation. This is where you acquire companies, competitors, you try to get synergies in terms of costs, you want to get stable operations, and this is usually seen in large companies which are trying to focus on profitability and cost out, right? So we call them as stable focused capabilities. The second capabilities that we talk about are market-centric, or in some cases, we call it customer-centric, right? So this is where you acquire capabilities that could address those. So this is quite often seen in FMCG, F&B, those kind of industries. The third kind of capabilities that companies pursue M&A is acquiring innovation. You know, whether it's in pharmaceutical companies or technology companies, this is where many of the startups and scale-ups are gobbled up by larger companies in order to get more innovative capabilities, capabilities where there could be new solutions that could be combined with your existing portfolio that could be offered to the client. And the fourth capability is what we call collaborate capability. This could be joint ventures. This could be an acquisition where you decide to pick on certain solutions or products of the acquired company and try to make them as part of your existing company's solutions or portfolio. So this is not necessarily just picking up the product from the acquired company and making it part of your own portfolio. This is actually a new solution, which is based on some components that come from the acquired company and some components that come from the acquiring company. Now, these four capabilities need different cultures. So the first one is all around stabilization. The second one is competing in the market. And that's where you need very different culture compared to stabilization, where the focus is on profitability. The third one is innovation. As you obviously know, innovation is all about the novelty of the concept, the breakthrough ideas, uh, where you need lots and lots of ideas. It's more entrepreneurial pursuit that is there. This obviously is uh, also quite risk-taking um, capability. And the last one is collaboration, where you and your partner or partners would come up with a solution that could be provided um, uh, that could be provided to your customers, right? So these are the four capabilities on the basis of which one should look at how the culture should be developed. So let's look at how can we develop these capabilities. Over the years, we've been working with various practitioners, companies across the globe, and also the fact that we are not just looking at the values and the behaviors, but we actually look at the underlying causes. So on the basis of that, we've come up with this framework called PROMISE. PROMISE is an acronym uh, which stands for People and Professional Development, R stands for Rewards and Recognition, O stands for Organization Hierarchy and Leadership Styles, M stands for Management System, I stands for Innovation and Critical Thinking, S stands for Strategic Future Capabilities, and E stands for Employee Experience. First of all, the one which we talk about professional development. When a company gets acquired, 
many a times what we find is the acquisition is essentially a company that's much smaller than the acquiring company. Sometimes it's about five to 20 times the size of your company. In many cases, these are scale-ups. These are maybe SMEs or mid-market that has been acquired by a large company. Now, obviously, people who work in SMEs or scale-ups do not necessarily have the same kind of corporate culture as is seen in larger companies, which means that they may not be aware and be tuned to the professionalism that's required in the corporate world, you know, ability to talk to leadership, uh, you know, ability to be able to share your ideas with top managers. Um, those are the kind of things that would be required. The second aspect of the professional development is also around uh, the norms and the practices and the behavior that's encouraged in corporate world versus um, the behaviors that are seen in, let's say, an entrepreneurial startup, right? So the first bucket is professional development. The second one is rewards recognition and consequence management. As you know, that in smaller companies, rewards and recognition is used as a way to keep employees engaged. On the other side, when it comes to larger companies, uh, rewards and recognitions are used sparsely uh, compared to entrepreneurial company. And many a times it's the brand, it's the corporate culture of those organizations uh, expect that individuals will do and meet the job expectations anyways. And it's only exceptionals role models are rewarded for their effort. And that too, again, it's a more of an annual exercise rather than, let's say, employee of the week in startups or scale-ups. The third one is organization hierarchy and leadership style. Larger companies have hierarchy protocols. Junior people are expected to revere to the senior management. Um, and, and whereas in entrepreneurial startups and scale-ups, there tends to be a lot more informality between the interactions between different layers. Similarly, leadership styles, uh, some of the leadership styles are conservative or they could be risk-averse whereas some of the other leadership styles could be flamboyant, could be very outgoing, extrovert, and also maybe able to take risks. So these leadership styles also influence the way an organizational culture gets created or gets evolved. The fourth one is management system. Management system is all about policies and procedures, your operating rigors, your Monday morning huddles, your Thursday updates that needs to be sent out. These are also about the communication governance. This is uh, your performance measurements, performance approval. So that makes your management system. The next one is innovation and critical thinking. And this is where we talk about how open is the company about encouraging their employees to critically think about the processes. It, it's not about criticizing, but critically thinking about their processes. This is something where some companies use continuous learning and continuous improvement as a way to encourage employees in some of the other companies. It is critical thinking. They may use design thinking principles and try and get new ways to come up with improvements and innovation. And innovation does not have to be just product or services. It could also be in marketing. It could also be in HR, it could also be in IT, uh, it could be in functional uh, innovation versus strategic innovation. So there are, there are various ways that you can look at innovation. The next one is strategic future, and the strategic future is all about the strategy of the company when the company goes through an acquisition, what is the strategic future capability that, that the company is pursuing, and then as a result, what's your culture 
would be required for these capabilities. And the last one is employee experience, right? So this is where we talk about employee engagement. We talk about career development opportunities. We talk about working conditions. We talk about some of the interactions, trust, transparency, integrity, um, all of those things in, in, in employee experience, right? So again, um, this is just a nutshell where I thought I'll just share this framework with you, which we find is quite valuable in addressing culture, especially when it, when, we, when it comes to addressing the practices, the structures that are underlying all the behaviors, the values, and the beliefs. So for your benefit, uh, the acronym is PROMISE, P for professional development, R for rewards and recognition, O for organizational hierarchy and leadership styles, M for management system, I for innovation and critical thinking, S for strategic future capabilities, and E is for employee experience. So as you know, lots of companies still struggled with integration, and one of the main reasons why they struggled with integration is culture. So that's why we thought of creating awareness of why companies are struggling with culture even today, and, and then share a framework by which it becomes easy to address some of these cultural issues. It is not about creating cultural integration or bringing about cultural integration. It is about what future capability are you looking to create and what sort of culture do you need in order to support that capability? That's the culture that you need to build. You come with a new culture that could be quite different from either of the culture that exists today. So that's what I wanted to share in this podcast. I hope you liked it and got some value from it. Thank you and we'll see you again in the next podcast. I hope you guys enjoyed the show today. This show was sponsored by Fifth Chrome, a business strategy advisor in a training company specializing in M&A, post-merger integration, and business strategy. Did you like today's content? If yes, then don't forget to hit the like button. If you heard something interesting, then don't forget to share it with your network and friends. And last but not least, please support us on this journey to spread awareness on topics related to M&A and integration by subscribing to our channel. That's all for now. Stay healthy and see you next time. And if you like this episode, I'm sure you'll also like our latest new tool. It is a quick assessment scorecard to assess the robustness of your M&A integration design. It just takes less than five minutes to answer. It is for free and you can get instantaneous recommendation. So visit maintegrationplan.scoreapp.com and find out for yourself.